Hey, this is Pastor Kenji Adachi with All People's Community Church here in Fairfax, Virginia, just outside the Washington, D.C. area. I want to talk about unity this morning. Um, as you know, our country is crazy divided in 2020. We're divided over politics, over masks, over race, and of course, in football teams, because I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. And so what we're seeing is that in this incredibly diverse, uh, hyper-polarized, hyper-sensitive time, we, the church, must be unified and maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace at, during this time. And so I want to speak about unity. Number one, unity is not uniformity. And so when the Apostle Paul planted churches in, in Asia Minor and then in Macedonia and in Greece, in all these cities that he planted churches in, he only planted one church. What I mean by this is he didn't plant a Jewish church for Jewish converts, or a Gentile church. He planted just one church. And so one of the reasons why he did this is to display the unity found in the diversity of the Trinity. Okay, And so the Trinity is three distinct persons existing in one. That's the Godhead, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And what that is, is, is a community. Those three exist as a community, but they're very diverse and they're very unified all at once. And this is what the church is supposed to be. We are to display this unifying being who God is and also the power of the gospel. And so unity, secondly, is not for diversity's sake, but for Christ's sake. And so right now in our world that is politically correct, they're trying to celebrate diversity in any way possible, right? And to show that humanity's goodness and the goodness of love, the power of love. But it's completely different for us. For us, you know, Jews and Gentiles, uh, slaves and free, rich and poor, you know, women and, and men, they can all come together as one in Christ because the power is found in Jesus Christ. And this is what, what Paul is trying to tell the church in Ephesus. You know, you got a Jews and Gentiles that are all together. He says this in, in chapter 214 that it is the power found in the work of Jesus Christ that breaks down the dividing wall of, of racial and ethnic hostility. But I want to pause here and and note, make a note that even though he breaks down this dividing wall of hostility, he doesn't break down their ethnic makeup. And what I mean is this, our primary identity must be in Jesus Christ. However, we still maintain our cultural background, our accents, our, our, you know, skin colors, even in heaven. And so when the Apostle John in Revelation 7, when he sees heaven, here's what he says, I saw, meaning with his eyes, okay? He saw what? Every nation and tribe and people groups. And he heard languages as well, meaning accents. And so um, their cultural identity was still intact to show the diversity and the beauty of God's creation, Right? But they were all there for one reason, to worship the Lamb of God. They're waving palm branches and singing, glorifying the Lamb of God that unites sinners, unites all peoples of the earth. And this is what he, what Paul declares in Ephesians 2.15 in the next verse. He says that these dividing walls of hostility 
uh, uh, were broken down in order that two different people, two distinct people can be made into one new man. This word new in the Greek has, has, uh, has two translations, kainos and, and nuos. Nuos means new, like a newer version, like I have an iPhone 8 and an iPhone 12 is going to be coming out. That's a newer version of, of my old, old, old phone. But kainos means newer of a different kind. We're not talking about the same phone, just a, 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 bit, a, a little, little bit improved. But he's saying different kind. Imagine sending a text message and a robotic pigeon flies off to send your communication. That would be different. And that's what Kainos says. When he's saying that, you know, two new people being made one, it's not because of, of human power. It is something divine and supernatural that is taking place, that has transformed our, our old identities that they have been made new because of Jesus Christ. And so that's why Paul didn't plant a Gentile church or a Jewish church. He wanted to show the, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that would be able to make two new, uh, two old people coming together and one new man. Lastly, um, unity is preaching the cross of Christ in the face of racism, classism, sexism, and favoritism. And in Ephesians chapter 2, when he goes on in verse 16, after he says that there, one new man is being made and there's peace being made, verse 16 he says, and that might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And so what the power and unity is found in Christ, and that means that we must preach the cross of Christ. We must preach that, that His death requires our death as well as we would follow in the steps of Christ and to carry our cross. That means dying to our old preferences, our prejudices, our racist ways, and that we would be made a new creation in Christ, that we would be crucified the flesh and its desires. And so this is what we are to preach. We are not to preach simply all lives matter or black lives matter. We must not preach social justice movements alone. We must not uh, preach political parties and presidents and, and policies and platforms. We must preach Christ in the cross of Christ, calling people to die. And because it is through death that we could be made new in Christ. And so uni uh, unity is not uniformity. Unity is not for unity's sake. It is for Christ's sake. And we must preserve and fight unity by preaching the cross of Christ. Hello, everyone. Welcome inside the hub, inside the classroom, as we just finished up um, the video with Kenji. And now I'm excited uh, to join you and invite in Santis Beatty with me. My name is Jason Stewart. I'm on the Exponential staff, and I'm glad to host this conversation today on our Divided No More Conversation series with Santis Beatty. So Santis, say hello so everybody can see your face on the screen. Hey, everyone. Hey, it's good to be with you. Thank you, Jason, for the invite to be a part of this. 
Yeah, we're glad you're here today, Santis. And really our, our heart, our goal is just to have a conversation around the content you just watched. The video that you just watched from Kenji on unity is not uniformity. A, a great um, just kind of TED-style talk and helping us think about what it looks like um, having a heart for the church and chasing after God's heart of diversity in unity and reconciliation vertically and horizontally. And really our Santis and I are just going to unpack that. And really what we want to do is um, model a conversation that you can have in your local church and your small groups. Uh, and we've been doing this across the country this fall in our roundtable events. And we've also, this Divided No More series is a part of our Divided No More resource kit that's uh, soon to release and um, the video you just watched is one of 100 videos that you can use um, to host um, some roundtable conversations with your staff, with your church, uh, just as we all pursue this, the big idea of unity out of uh, John 17 prayer, Jesus's prayer in John 17. Santis, you also have a video in this resource kit. I'm so glad you're contributing in that way. So, but I know we really just want to take a few minutes um, to unpack really what stood out to you and I. Um, just as we're, you know, fellow learners and friends, we got to, uh, Santis and I got to meet each other last year and spend some time together as at our Multipliers Learning Community. Santis was leading a group of Wesleyan leaders um, uh, in a multi-ethnic cohort. So let me, let me introduce you guys to Santis a little bit. And then Santis, I want to love for you to jump in and just kind of share what you, stood out to you. Um, in the video we all just watched together. But Sentis is uh, the pastor of Mosaic Midtown in Detroit, Michigan. Um, before his uh, role there at Mosaic Midtown, that I think it's your kind of coming up on your uh, one-year anniversary there, Sentis, if I remember, because when we were that's together. That's This Sunday, actually, yeah. Is it? Yeah, that's awesome. I remember that you were in that transition when we were together last year. Uh, prior to that, Sentis, um, uh, was in many different pastoral and denominational roles. Um, one of those was as the director of multi-ethnic ministry with the Wesleyan Church. Um, also pastored in North Carolina and Grand Rapids, Michigan, in the Indiana area. So uh, since he has a, a deep background, not only in leading churches and planting churches, but also denominational work, um, also partners with Mosaics and does a lot of coaching and teaching on the multi-ethnic church and on diversity and reconciliation. So, and Santis is going to be part of our conversations today in the coming uh, weeks as we continue this uh, show within our hub of Divided No More Conversations. So, Santis, love just get your kind of top of mind reflections on Kenji's video and just the the big idea of unity is not uniformity. Yeah, I mean, I love the way he framed that, man. I think, you know, the tension, right, is that we want unity, but, like, if we're honest, like, we want unity our way, <laughs> right? We, we want unity that is easy. We want unity that is simple. We want unity that is not messy. Um, we want unity that is not uncomfortable, um, but the unity that we see in scripture uh, is a unity that is sometimes very, very difficult. And, um, and it's actually why we need the Holy Spirit to do it, <laughs> right? Like, and, and so I think how he describes this whole idea of it not being uniformity is really important because 
uh, when you think about how God made us and what the, the church is supposed to be, if, if, if there were uniformity in the church, we wouldn't be able to be effective at reaching the world. And so in order to live out the Great Commission, like go make disciples of all nations, like there has to be this ability um, that we have to reach different groups of people. I love the way uh, Ed Stetzer says it, like we're, we're to live sent <laughs> to different groups of people with a clear mission and message and we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, right? And, and so if we're to live out of that, those four themes, like we can't, there can't be a level of uniformity. Uh, it, it actually would hinder us from living out the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. And as you said, um, understanding the Great Collaboration. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, you know, I, uh, that idea of unity is not uniformity. I know um, you, we were talking um, before we jumped on here live about the just um, Brian Loritz, who's been a part of our series as well, has written a book, Right Color, um, Wrong Culture, and how you kind of expounded on that to me that I thought was very insightful that helps us really think about um, as we press in and, and, and pursue unity as the church, what that really does look like. Yeah. So I, I you know, one example for me, I, I came into a church, you know, I was at that time, the, the second uh, uh, black or African-American pastor to be on staff. I was, you know, leading their, their youth ministry, particularly their high school ministry. And if you read uh, Brian's book, he has like these different categories of people and he compares them to, people that we would recognize like who are, you know, um, you know, in the media or in movies or in um, TV shows. And so he describes how like um, there's a Carlton, right? The Carlton from Fresh Prince from Bel Air of Bel Air and, and how Carlton has a certain role. Right. And I would say that when I came to the church, right, I think people were expecting me to be Carlton when in actuality I'm more of a Denzel. Right. And I think the tension though, is there's the sense in which, you know, Carlton for some people is easier, right? Like, you know, there's not really a shift in culture. Uh, he identifies as African-American, but culturally he probably more identifies with middle-class kind of white society. Denzel, on the other hand, identifies very differently, right? And, and so I come in as a Denzel, and I'm having to try to figure out, like, who do they want? Do they want Carlton or do they want me, <laughs> right? And, and I think part of the challenge of, of understanding walking through this as a, was it a church or a business or an organization is the tension in that moment is sometimes, like, we, we put Carlton against Denzel, right? Like, you know, because... Carlton is easier for me, like I'm going to identify here and so Denzel's bad or the vice versa, right? Where someone says, well, Carlton is a sellout, so let, we need more Denzels. When the reality is you actually need both <laughs> and everywhere in between, right? Like Carlton plays a role that's vitally important, right? He, he shatters stereotypes. Um, he helps some people feel safer to get the conversation going. Uh, and, 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 uh, Denzel, on the other hand, plays a different role, right? It's, it's kind of like what we do with Malcolm and, Ar and Martin sometimes. Like, and, and it's kind of unfair when you really know both of, both of their stories because Malcolm becomes more like Martin at the end of his life and Martin becomes more like Malcolm. And it's actually why they both were, were assassinated, right? Because they were becoming something that they couldn't be put in a box anymore. And so I think part of what we have to do is find those spaces where we create uh, opportunities for people to really be themselves, where it's safe to be you, and we want to leverage who you are for the kingdom and, and understanding that self-awareness and that community awareness makes us all better in the end. 
Yeah, that, that's, that's super helpful. Um, it makes me think of when I was, um, before Exponential, I was in several different pastoral roles and different sized churches and, and contexts. One of them was uh, spent several years in California and, and, and I got to serve with a, an incredible leader gentleman, um, Parnell Loveless. And Parnell was a significant in Northern California, a significant African-American pastor, planter, and learned a ton from Parnell. And I remember him giving a, it was a, a pastor's conference and he made this statement that, that I've hung on to that makes me think of this topic of unity versus uniformity. And he said, you know, often we give, and I, these are my paraphrase of, of the words, but he he said a lot of times we have this metaphor in America, and I think it's true in the American church, is that, you know, we the, the metaphor of the melting pot. And he said, that's, I know what we're going for, but that's really not the goal. That the goal is not a melting pot, because then it is uniformity. And he said, the goal is to have a hearty beef stew where it's all together, but still you see the distinct vegetables and everyone is still, you know, all of the ingredients are, are not meshed together into one, but they're all together and you still have the distinct flavor and color and uniqueness of how they all contribute together for a great dish. You know, and so that's all I said, that real like. I mean, that some light bulbs and, and a sense of repentance came in for me and, and a lot of um, the contacts I had been in were not, we were going after the melting pot. Um, yeah. So I know, you, you know, leading multi-ethnic churches, consulting, coaching leaders on that. What are some of the distinctives that you have found in your journey of just helping churches not be so much that melting pot, but kind of a, a hearty. And there might be a beef stew, vegetable soup, or some other metaphor that might, you might prefer, but that kind of idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love, I love that uh, illustration. I, I like to use the word salad, right? So, you know, yeah. salad, just, yeah. just don't pour ranch all over it, right? Like it <laughs> completely kills the flavor yeah. of the, the vegetables. But I think the, yeah, I think there's that piece in which, um, you know, if you look at that that story or that illustration, um, part of what happens is there's, well, we have to resist the temptation of asking people to assimilate, right? Um, and, and so uh, there, there's this way in which we move from tolerating, right? Uh, we're actually from segregation to toleration to assimilation into what I would call transformation. So in, in the segregation side of it, like there's this like one culture um, and, you know, one race side of it, right? If we're, if we're thinking about ethnicity and you move into the toleration, like it shifts a little bit, but it's, it's really like you do it on my terms, right? Toleration, like you like your black church. I like my white church. You like your Hispanic church. I like my Asian church. So there's more toleration. You do, you do. You do you, we'll do us. And then you move into like this um, assimilation, which actually a lot of people assume that when there's assimilation, just because there are different groups of people at the table, that is actually multi-ethnic and is healthy, but it's actually not, right? It's, it's a step in the process. It's just not where we want to go. It, it actually becomes more, of, uh, more colorful um, than it is uh, really relationship building. And what we want uh, to move out of is this desire to ask people to assimilate, like come on my terms 
do the things that we like. And if you don't do it that way, then, you know, you, we, we start hearing words like they didn't fit or, uh, you know, they, what, how they did things and didn't agree with our culture, right? That, that, those are synonym, synonyms for the fact that you were asking them to assimilate uh, typically. But what we want is we want transformation, right? Like we really want for us all to become something new, right? Like it's not supposed to be a black way, a white way, a Hispanic way, a native way, a, a, a Asian way. We're, we're both supposed to become something new, right? Like that's literally what he's talking about in Ephesians 2, like that one new humanity, the two becoming something brand new. And, and that I think people sometimes are afraid of the new, right? Like, like, cause I don't know what that's going to be like. I don't know where I fit in that. I can't, really predict it or control it. Right. And, and it, it seems dangerous. It seems risky, but like, isn't following the Holy spirit supposed to be that way? Right. Like, like isn't following the, the, the way of Jesus supposed to be a little bit of an adventure and not predictable. And so I, I think, yeah, there's that sense in which like we want to move away from segregation, toleration and assimilation into what is uh, called transformation. So, you know, one of the things Kenji uh, pointed out of just how the Trinity is a representation, obviously, or a model for us when it comes, when we talk about unity um, and how in the Trinity we see um, community, as Kenji talked about, I've, I've heard and read and really reflected on how we really see family um, represent obviously familiar terms when we talk about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, so how for you does the Trinity represent this pursuit of unity is not conformity for us? You know, the, the truth is, it's, it's, it's pretty liberating, right? When you think about it, like that, like the Trinity embodied in the Trinity are like three totally different roles, you know, three different um, persons, but one God, like, you know, and so it, 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 it allows me to have the uniqueness of who I am personally or who we are as a, as a church and a ministry without feeling like I have to become something that I'm not. Right. Um, and that, that, that uniqueness in the context of us going after the same thing, pursuing the same thing uh, is really liberating. I, like I've always said that there, there are always, um, there's always room for islands of particularity in an ocean of unity, right? Or an ocean of oneness. Like it's okay <laughs> to be you, right? It's okay to, to be different, right? For your church to, to operate in a way that maybe doesn't operate like other churches in your area. And it's because you're uniquely wired and positioned to do something very different. And I think we need to do, do a better job of affirming that. Now we, we get into, um, kind of problem territory when those things, that uniqueness, that difference becomes an idol, right? Or that uniqueness becomes our number one identifier. Like, I love the way he ended when he's, when he's talking about, like, we got to die to ourselves, right? Because that's one of those temptations. Like, even in the multi-ethnic sphere, sometimes I have to say to a church or to a pastor, when I see them leaning into this whole uh, understanding that multi-ethnic ministry is the gospel. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. It's not the gospel. It is a byproduct of the gospel, right? Like when the gospel is really pro proclaimed in a healthy way and people are living it out, you should see that this is the evidence of the gospel, right? It is, it is a credible witness of the gospel being proclaimed and it's not limited. But when we make those things, that uniqueness, or we make those differences more important than the gospel or the kingdom, then we run our, we run the risk of, of making it an idol. 
Yeah, I think that, that's a, uh, a helpful, uh, or I think kind of pressing into us a little bit, Santis, of, of, of that, that becoming an idol. And even hearing, I mean, with, with the tension, but also the pursuit, you know, the tension of, uh, of race in the church right now in our country and how it's, but also the pursuit of that. And so there, there's, there's a lot of healthy and good things that are that in conversations that are happening that need to happen. But I'm struck a little bit of how, how we um, don't allow it to become an idol, like you said, or, or what are the distinctions to help them know that I'm, that uh, as a leader, I'm balancing um, this conversation or that I'm not making um, diversity or reconciliation, the gospel, but it is an aspect or a fruit of, um, or a realization of when the gospel's at work. Yeah. I think, you know, we always have to get back to the basics, right? It's really about making disciples, right? Yeah. Uh, disciples who love God, who love others, right? Like that's, Reconciling people to God, reconciling people to people. Like that is at the core of all of this. And, and then what happens is like if we ever get off track there, we got to come back to that, um, that those, those basics, the elementary, uh, the foundational aspect of this. I think, um, I think there always is a need for accountability, right? And one of the things I've learned in this work and doing multi-ethnic ministry is to be in spaces where there are people in the community or there are people who are in these types of ministries who I allow to speak into me and I allow to speak into what we're doing. And if you let like healthy gospel centered folks <laughs> speak into you and uh, how you're leading and how your church is operating, they will, they will help signal alarms when it's moved away from the gospel into some of these other things. And we've seen it, right? There's this, this cultural Christianity, which basically, you know, I sprinkle a little bit of Jesus over here and I, you know, douse a little bit of God over there. And, and then I, I allow everything else to kind of fall under my platform or, you know, my message or my narrative. And, and when there are other people who are able to speak, you've given permission to speak into it. Uh, I think that is huge. I, th I think the other piece is, um, is as you're training and you're developing people, um, you're, you always lean into those three things that we, we talk about, right? Like the, the great commission, the great commandment, the great collaboration. And, and if those things are at the center of, of how you're leading and how you're raising up people, then your own people will hold you accountable. <laughs> your own people will challenge you. And so I think sometimes it's uh, asking people from the outside in to speak into it. But then I think there's also a level of accountability from, from within the church or the family or the organization that can keep things on track as well. Yeah. And one of the things that um, stood out for me that uh, kind of layers into what you're uh, saying from Kenji's talk was, and I wrote it down earlier when I was watching, it said, unity is preaching the cross of Christ in the face of racism, sexism, classism, and favoritism. And that sense of, you know, the things that we have to die to, to really to pursue the kingdom and pursue reconciliation and, uh, and a, you know, whether it's tangibly a multi-ethnic church or just, uh, uh, unity in diversity. And I, as I, I was thinking of when he said that statement, I was, I was like, I've got a touch of the tism, right? I've got all of these, when I, the racism, sexism, classism, favoritism, how, how um, I have um, 
had my way of thinking and my thoughts and behaviors have been the opposite direction of what Christ calls us to. Um, and so, and then just the, how we need to die to those things. What, what are you, as you're seeing the conversations you're a part of as you're leading in your local church or, you know, as you've served other leaders and coached and served other leaders, what, what are those things that you often see that we have to die to as we're pursuing unity and, you know, preaching, like getting, as you said, we're getting back to the basics, preaching the cross of Christ, but it caught, but that is leading us to die. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, Philippians two does it really well, right? Like the kenosis passage, the self emptying passage. I think, I think sometimes we have to be willing to let go of our preferences. Uh, We have to be willing to let go of our, maybe potentially our position, uh, we may have to be willing to let go of some of the power. Um, we may have to be willing to let go of some of the privilege. And I think those things, man, they're huge. Now, Jesus in the Kenosis passage helps us to understand that he lets go of those things when they're not going to help, right? He lets go of them when they're not going to help, but he picks them up when they will, right? He, he accesses them when they will help, but he sits them down when they won't, right? So sometimes like I, I, I get into these conversations with people and I realize it's probably not a good idea for me to mention that I'm a pastor right now, right? Like it's not gonna help, <laughs> right? And then there are other times and I realize, oh man, if I say, if I share this, it might actually contribute to us being more effective. And so like sometimes we need to sit certain things down. We need to let some things go and, and understand that the ultimate goal is that God is glorified, that the kingdom is advanced, that, that people uh, hear the gospel. And, and then I think the other piece of it is like the gospel, good news needs to be good news for everybody. And so part of the challenge is I need to be able to understand my audience or the people that I'm ministering to or serving in such a way where I know how to present the gospel in a way that is good news for them, <laughs> right? So I've, I've learned that how I preach in the suburbs uh, of Grand Rapids is very different than how I preach in the inner city of, of Detroit, right? It's partially because it's, you know, one side is, is a totally different political affiliation than the other side. Um, it, one side is suburban and predominantly white. The other side is, is predominantly black and in the city. But, but the gospel is, is the same in the sense of what Christ has done for us, but it's articulated differently to different communities who have different needs and different issues that they're working through. And so whatever we do, we, we have to be close enough in proximity and presence to understand how the gospel needs to be articulated to a particular audience, right? It would be one thing, like if I was here speaking in French, right? And you didn't know French. I could be saying some really amazing things, <laughs> but you wouldn't be able to understand a word I'm saying because I'm not speaking your language, right? And so part of, part of uh, dying to the self uh, is being willing to put aside my way or how I see it and better understand how they see it and, and how they experience the world and to share the gospel in a way that makes sense and can relate to their context. Yeah, I remember I had a mentor help me see um, when I was young in ministry, and, and this was at a time I was at a very mono-ethnic church, um, kind of in suburbs slash getting on the edge of rural, and, uh, but it's still a large church. And, but um, in that very homogeneous culture, there, we started to see every once in a while there would 
be, you know, I, I was a student pastor at the time, so we would reach students who came from different ethnicities and different cultures and how when one or two came, everybody was excited and look, and, and he, my mentor made the comment, you know, we pat ourselves on the back being this, you know, leaders like this or a church like this when one or two come, but what happens if 100 of that show up? And it made me, you know, it kind of caught me off guard, but it, it sent me to some reflection to realize, and I think, and it, I remember that as you were talking about just a minute ago of how, um, that sense of dying, it really is dying to the power and privilege and position and, and, and really because it's a comfort because it, we have to, when people from different backgrounds, different cultures come in, if we don't make space and, and it really does press into comfort. And um, so what I'm, I'm curious, as I know there's a lot of churches that we interact with at Exponential and just friends with and minister who they, they realize there's more work to be done um, when it comes to their local churches and being representative of their local communities that are diverse to be a picture of we, we know of the church in Revelation, right? And the importance of, of being a unified church, but not uniform in diversity. What are some tangible things that a, a, a pastor or church leader can do um, just to begin to pursue that, uh, those things that are, that are helpful, that are, uh, uh, I appreciate what you were saying too earlier, Santis, that as a leader, you're being mindful of your, the, the community that you're in, but your, your congregation and what they need and how to pastor them, but still towards the goal of a, a rich, full gospel um, in, a, in a multi-ethnic church. Yeah, that's a great question. I love I love the way um, Andy Stanley says it. He says, uh, "Pay attention to the frontier of your ignorance," <laughs> and right, it's like this loving this this loving way of saying like we all got some stuff we got to learn, <laughs> right? Yeah. We all got this stuff we got to pay attention to. And so it's not to say that to like down anybody or dismiss anyone. It's like yeah. I got to pay attention to the frontier of my ignorance. Yeah. So I think that's really important. I think too. Um, to get in relationship, like be willing to be mentored by someone of a different ethnicity uh, who approaches these issues differently than you do. Um, be, be willing to be mentored by them. Be willing to sit at their feet, right? Right now, I'm, uh, for the first time in my life, like I've been mentored by women before, but one of my, win- one of my mentors is a white woman. And, and I'm intentional about uh, asking her to speak into my life, right? I've been mentored by people of color. I've been mentored by mostly men in my life. But this season, I've, I've asked for her to do that. And she's been a, a blessing to me. I think the other thing that I would say is um, have different on-ramps, like on-ramps that allow people to enter at different uh, places, right? Like when you're traveling somewhere, you, you can get there by going different routes, and so, like, have on-ramps for people who are new to this, uh, have on-ramps for people who are, who've been at it for a little bit, but, you know, they're not, you know, this is not the, the air they, they uh, you know, the water they swim in all the, all the time, but also have something for the more advanced people who've been doing this for a while. Figure out different on-ramps. A great tool that I've been using, like, there are really two um, that I would highly recommend. One of them is um, Multi-Ethnic Conversations. Um, it's a book by... Um, Mark Demaz and Onia Akwabe. Uh, and also, uh, I've been 
I've been mesmerized by watching churches go through cultural intelligence training. And, and CQ training has been a huge blessing for a lot of churches because it does a couple things. Like, I think right now we're in that phase where we're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let, let's do a book study. Let's do a movie review. Let's, let's have a two-day racial reconciliation training. Let's, let's have somebody up on stage and we're going to do an interview. You know, we, we just throw stuff at the wall because we know something needs to happen. But I think what, what CQ does is it's, it's kind of like instead of going to the doctor's office, I mean, going to the, um, to the pharmacy and just buying up medicine and, you know, taking it down, it's like going to the doctor and getting a CAT scan, right? And saying, okay, here's the issue, right? Like if, if you're not feeling well, like you don't need to just take a lot of different medicine. What you need to do is, is, is zero in on where the pain is coming from or where the issue is. And let's find out what that is. Okay, you got an ulcer. Like, here's the plan. We're going to do surgery. We're going to do medication, whatever. And so I think CQ uh, has uh, an ability to, do, to be almost a scan. It's a scan for the individual. And if you, you do it for uh, the organization, it can be a scan for the organization and, and help to name some things. Because sometimes uh, the problem is we don't, know, we don't know what we're struggling with, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, we don't, we're not aware of where we are. And some churches are, right? They're aware but it kind of brings everything together. So I, I recommend those things. Um, and, and there are multiple ways that, that you can get access to CQ training. I do it as many other people in the church do it as well. So those are some, some tools that I've been using. Yeah. So that's, that's super helpful. Cause you know, one of the things, uh, even yesterday we did a, an online round table um, that as one of the many round tables we're doing, that's really leading into this conversation this fall and, and um, one of the thing, one of the comments one of the leaders said was, you know, it's in our third session, we talk about what are some practical next steps. And, and that's a lot of times for us, some of the hard things to know what to do, what are, you know, we're wanting to lean in, we want to be um, more aware and more responsive, but we just don't know what some of the practical things um, that we can do as church leaders in our different contexts a lot of times because it's, it, it's maybe new territory, it's, it, it's filled with tension in, in some of our settings. And so I appreciate um, the practical things you just gave. Um, and, uh, and since he's so thankful for being on this conversation with you today, and you know, to those who are, are listening live or catching this on the replay, Santis is going to continue with us in the coming weeks on this Divided No More uh, conversation series. And it's really um, a piece of a broader uh, initiative that we've been a part of this fall at Exponential in, in a couple of ways that you can still be engaged across the country this fall. We are having... Uh, exponential roundtables, local events hosted by churches and networks who are gathering pastors and church leaders together just to have open discussion um, after listening to some great thought leaders on, on unity and church and race and how we pursue reconciliation. You see there on your screen, you can find out um, s- some of the roundtables that are happening in your city still this fall into December. 
at multiplication.org slash roundtables. I think we have five or six just today, Santis, going on throughout the country. So really excited about that and to hear how the conversation is going. We're blown away by the feedback. Uh, you can get an individual ticket to participate in, in that in-person roundtable in your city, or we have group packages if you want to bring your team. So that's multiplication.org slash roundtables. Check those out. And we also have another online roundtable on December 10th. So if there's not one in your city, you can still be a part of these uh, in-person or, excuse me, just kind of live engagement where we hear from thought leaders like Santis and some of uh, Brian Loritz and such or some of the uh, folks we've even mentioned today. Um, and, and the other thing I want to let you know about that Santis is a part of is our Divided No More resource kit. So um, we're really trying to model conversations and, uh, and inspire people to have these types of dialogue um, in their local churches, in their small groups, even in their family. And so this Divided No More resource kit is a, is a collection of 100 videos that are TED-style talks, um, that are conversations, that are book summaries. Uh, some of them that Santis has even mentioned today, we have author book summaries in there. Um, just a lot of resources that you can pull together and have what you need to, to engage uh, an event in your local congregation or community or just walk through a series of trainings and conversations to help better prepare your church to lead for reconciliation and unity in your community. So, so grateful you joined up for us or joined us today on this conversation. And we will see you next week on Divided No More Conversations. Santis, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you, ma'am.